Hi, Laura. How is 2020 been going for you? Hi, Liv. Thank you so much for having me. Um, 2020 has been interesting, um, to say the least. I'm trying to just manage everything that's going on in the world and staying focused on my writing. Um, it's been a mixture of reading and writing and deadlines and promotion for new books and new secret projects. So it's been busy. Um, I've been here at home doing a lot of work. So, <laughs> yeah, that's helpful. And how has um, writing been going for you during such like a difficult time? It's been a big change. Um, at first, in the spring, when we went on lockdown, I found it difficult. Um, I also lost my dog, my pet, so that was kind of a sad time for me as well. Um, it was hard to focus. Uh, but then I, um, I went on deadline for my book three, which will be announced um, early winter. And I had some revisions and heavy rewriting to do, and that kind of really helped me uh, because I was I had the, the sense of agency, and the deadline kind of kicked me into gear and gave me a purpose. And I had already known that story so well that it was actually easier for me to um, kind of bury myself in my home and to my work during that summer. And that, that's how I spent most of my summer um, was redoing that book, and I just handed it in. So. It ended up being a good thing um, that I had this project because it kept me going. Yeah. Did you start anything new? I mean, if you did, how did you find that? Because I felt yes. that like anything that I've tried to do, it just kind of felt like so little in comparison. I couldn't stay focused on it. I completely understand that. And yes, I did go through that. I started a, um, a fourth manuscript and I'm actually going to go back to that one. I'm working on research right now. And it just wasn't working. And I figured out why. This is what we do as writers. We start and sometimes we have to redirect ourselves. So I had started it and I love the concept, but it was missing something. And the, the further I get into writing, you can kind of figure out that type of thing sooner, which is a gift, <laughs> just sort of a little bit of experience. And I realized I needed to just stop and rethink that and work with MicroChic partners. Um, so now I am going back to that manuscript with a lot more agency and a new purpose and I have kind of a new story frame to work on. Um, and I'm, like I said, in the research kind of outlining pre-writing and going to get back into that and probably spend my time until spring, hopefully um, working on that book. Yeah, and how, how do you do the researching um, like process and the writing process? Do you start with like the plot or do you start with the characters and, or just an idea? I start, um, it's, it's usually a character that, a character or a place or a problem that inspires me, something that I've wanted to explore. And then I usually find a situation that best brings out what I want to explore in a character. I'm always a very character-driven um, writer. The plot to me comes secondary. I'm like, well, how can I, what plot is best going to pull this character through their arc that I want to do? So I usually know that first, and then I come up with the story, which is a little odd, but it works for me um, sometimes <laughs> um, with some rewriting, but that is usually my process. I'm, um, I'm a character-driven author, so people really inspire me, um, first of all, that first spark. And is it normally like on things that you may like see outside or like people you know, or is it normally just something like, like I don't know, like maybe not a dream, but like something that just kind of calls to you? Yes, 
all of those things. Um, <laughs> and sometimes they combine themselves. Sometimes I'm writing a character that is an expression of who I was as one part of my teenage years. And I personify that experience of my life into a person. Um, that happens very much. Or I want to explore a character trait or an emotion. Uh, a lot of times it's just an emotion of grief or one of longing or pining or loss um, of recouping. And I put that into a person and that person embodies the emotion I want to experience. And I use my own memory. I use mm. sitting in a cafe and seeing the people that walk by in the conversations. All of those things are kind of like a tapestry that create my storytelling. That's so nice. A tapestry. Oh my goodness. That's such a nice way of explaining it. Well, that's kind of what we are as humans. I think we are just like these fossils of information and experiences and emotions and backstory and wishes and hopes. And all of those things contribute so much to who we are. And unpacking that in a character is something I really, really enjoy doing. I'm going to use that. I'm about to start university. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Great. That's that's so exciting. That's so exciting. And I'll let you know how it goes because I really like that. (laughs) And when you were a teenager, did you ever imagine that you'd be an author or did you have a completely different idea for yourself? Um, no, I always was a good writer, you know, the quote unquote good writer. I always did really well on creative writing and on my papers. Um, I always had a gift for words. I did poetry, all of those things, but I never knew really how to be a storyteller. I didn't know that I could write the idea. I liked short form. The idea of writing a full length novel to me was something like I could never do that. And I was a voracious reader. Um, but I studied to be a teacher. And I taught elementary school for a few years before I stopped to have my children. And I found myself using literature so often in my classroom. And a lot of times I couldn't find what I needed to teach my lessons. And I noticed holes in in my curriculum that I always wanted to fill with books. And sometimes there were books that didn't exist. And I thought, well, I'd like to do that someday. And I think just the time um, finally happened for me when my youngest daughter, I think was in the fifth grade. And I, everything kind of clicked, all of the work that I had done and the reading I had done, just, I think it was just my time. Um, I can't explain it in any other way that I had the time to put to it and the word just started coming out and I did everything wrong at first, which is fine. Um, but I figured it out and kept writing, kept working at it, um, listened, read a lot to classes, uh, worked on my craft. And I was finally able to put all those things from all those years together, which I think is kind of cool that I don't think I could have done this when I was in my early 20s or my late teens or when I was a young mother. Um, I couldn't have put the time in and the men- maybe the mental space. So this is the right time for me. Yeah. And you mentioned um, when you were a teacher, you just couldn't find the right stuff, like mm-hmm. the right books for Sometimes. you. Do you think there's, um, there is a little bit of a gap in like curriculum and in the book industry for certain things. Do you feel that? I do. I think it's so much better now. I'm, this was many years ago that I was teaching and a lot of times it was probably my own. It's much easier to find things now. This was before we Mm -hmm. had all these online resources and um, it's much easier as teachers to get the books that we need. Um, And sometimes it was just my imagination going, oh, I'm teaching about, um, you know, colonial times. I would love a story about a girl. And I'm sure they, they might've existed. It was just hard for me to find a lot of those things and having to 
think on my feet and be very quick about it. I didn't always have those things, but anytime I could, I love to take a picture book or a chapter book and put those things in the front of my classroom, my top third grade and say like, I'm teaching you about these things in history class, but if you want to learn more about them, you know, come and, and look at these books and these texts. And I just lo always loved um, the way that my students would respond when I would bring out a picture book or any kind of text that wasn't a textbook. They yeah. would just, their little ears would perk up and they're, suddenly they're so interested. And that's the beauty of literature and of books. Yeah, and I definitely think that point that you made about things not being easily accessible. So I was born in like the early 2000s. And mm -hmm. I, my mum always says to me that like at that time, it wasn't easy just to go on the internet and just type in, this is what I want, this picture book. And um, mm -hmm. as a black child as well, she was, my mum just wanted me to make, to, she wanted to make sure that I had books that looked with characters that looked like me. And that just wasn't easy to find when you don't have the internet where you can just search everything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that has gotten better. I mean, look at the beautiful books that are coming out now. We still have, there still needs to be more. I mean, the shelf space is wide for all of these books and we need them. Um, that's a passion of mine to promote them and celebrate books. I want, you know, it's my dream that every child can see themselves on a book cover and as the hero in a story. That is something that every child needs to see. Um, I really believe that. Yeah, and that is something you have done with your latest book, which is about to come out, mm -hmm. A Cuban's Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, that um, A Cuban Girl's Guide is kind of all of the things I was talking about with you just a few minutes ago of my own experience growing up in a huge Cuban family as the uh, daughter and granddaughter of, of immigrants. Um, taking the spirit of that and putting it into a teen girl that was very much like me, Lila Reyes, um, acted and behaves uh, very much like I did when I was 17, 18 years old. Um, and it was hard to kind of go there in myself, but I think I needed to do it. Um, I needed to put all of that, um, my experiences into Lila. And she kind of came alive and was like little me walking around in a book, which was a little odd. But um, Lila is... Um, a daughter and a granddaughter of um, bakery owners in Miami. And she's very much a Miami Cuban. And she's grown up with this beautiful legacy and mantle around her that she is going to take over with her sister Pilar, um, the family business. And she wants to do this more than anything. And she is a very talented baker, you know, that was trained by her, her abuela. Um, and abuela uh, dies in, before the story starts. And Lila also has couple of other tragic events just all happening. She has a really bad spring before she graduates high school and she's not doing well handling it. And she says um, to her loving parents who still in the bakery, you know, I, I don't want to talk about my losses. I, I want to unlose them. And that's very much Leela. She's super stubborn and headstrong. And she thinks that Miami has been her place of winning so long that all she has to do is reclaim what she's lost and she'll win again and she'll go forward with all her self-sufficiency and she'll just push and push and push but she doesn't realize her mental health is suffering and her own health is suffering and she's actually I wouldn't say self-harm but she's becoming destructive to her own self and not doing well and her parents say okay and they do something that's that maybe not everyone is going to understand uh, but this is very popular in um, latino culture and especially in cuban culture if your parents think you're not doing well they usually ship you off to your tia to straighten <laughs> out and they don't go to count it's not about going to counseling or uh, they might take you to um 
the priest. That's that would be the counseling, but Leela, of course, gets out of that because she's stubborn and wily. Um, so they're like, "Nope, you need to get out of here. Uh, Miami's not good for you right now." And Leela's like, "But I got so much to do." Um, but her parents send her to um, a family, a distant family member who lives in England. And her and her husband um, went an inn and they say, you need to cool down. So mommy, you know, in Miami, it's June. She says, I need to send Lila to the coolest place to cool her down. And what's the coolest place I can think of in June? Well, um, England. <laughs> <laughs> right, Liv? Am I wrong? Yeah. No, okay. I'm not wrong. So, uh, so Lila very much against, is not a fan of this at all. And she's like, I have things to do in Miami. Why are you sending me to England? I, you know, you're stopping my agency. I've got to take over the bakery and with my sister and I have things to do here. And they're like, no, you need to rest. And that does not appeal to her. Uh, when she gets to England, that's when the story unfolds of Lila and her identity and making her place there and learning really what it is to be a Cubana and what it is more to be a citizen of the world. And she meets some very interesting people that uh, pull at her and challenge her um, and also help her to unpack this grief and to know what to do with it because she finally kind of deals with the things that she's been just putting walls up against and shoving behind and and um that is uh, that is a story that unfolds in beautiful winchester england which is darling beautiful place and um she learns a lot about herself and her family and um humility mm. a lot of um of letting go so that that is the Cuban Girl's Guide. This sounds great. I mean, I I can't wait to read it personally. But that you know, the way that you explained it was even better than just reading the blurb. Oh, thank you. Um, and so yeah, you kind of mentioned that her um Lila Summer is not what she expected nor what she wanted. What can you tell us a little bit about your best ever summer? Oh my goodness, my best ever summer. Are you thinking mean like childhood or recently? Either. I would have to say in, in recent memory was right after I sold Library of Lost Things. It was um, a big anniversary for my husband and I, and he gifted me a trip to Italy. Just the two of us with no children, no dogs, no work. <laughs> so I had found out the reason it was so fun is I was sitting in the airport at LAX waiting to fly out. I just found out that we got upgraded to business class, right? This is already a good day, Liv. It's already. <laughs> and my agent calls and says, um, I just sold your book. So I'm in the airport. I'm about to board my flight. And I hear that Library of Lost Things sold to uh, Inkyard Press. And then I go to Italy for two weeks. <laughs> in Capri and Rome and... Um, Positano, and it was just the best summer <laughs> because I had, you know, it was so much fun being on the trip and then coming, getting to come home and, um, you know, working through all the things to get my book out there on the shelf. So that was a really fun summer. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I mean, Italy's great anyway. So, and then, oh, yes. Class, and then your book being sold. I know. In the airport. Can you believe I'm like holding my carry on bag and in the line? <laughs> to get on the plane 
I would have like probably screamed. I recently I got my um, exam results on the on like the subway in here in the UK, and I like turned around to my mum because I brought her for moral support. Because I was like, if I don't pass, I kind of need moral someone to calm me down. Um, and I like turned around to her on the on the sub on the escalator, and I was like, I passed, I passed, I passed. And the whole like subway must have been thinking, oh my god, is this girl okay? Oh, but, but congratulations! That's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, but I can't. If I was going to, it, I, that would have been better if I was going to Italy. But I didn't. I know. I think most things are better. It's like it's you know, it could be the worst summer. But you're going to Italy. You know, everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And since like the pandemic, probably, what would be your like perfect summer plans now? Well, I lost them, Liv. I know. I'm a little, I'm not bitter at all because we need to stay healthy, right? I'm yeah. not, this is me not being bitter about it, but I was supposed to be in Spain in June uh, with my family um, and it was my teenagers. And I was so excited to bring them to Spain to do all the things and eat everything. Mm. But we had to cancel that. And it was really sad. I mean, it's something that, you, I mean, how can you, you know, the, there are more important things than me going to Spain. Of course, the, this, the pandemic and people are important. But this was hard on my family. We had looked forward to this for months. Um, it was a big deal. And it was something I wanted to do with them and being able to gift them that was something as a mother that was really a point of pride for me that I could take them. And um, so that's what we were supposed to be doing. And, but, you know, it worked out because I was home and that's when I had to start rewriting my book. And I said, we're going to go back as soon as it's safe. We're, we will recoup the things that we've lost, but we are not going to lose one another. We, you know, we're going to be safe yeah. and that's what's most important. But it was still a little bit hard, you know, <laughs> those mm-hmm. times that I'm supposed to be in Barcelona or, you know, doing those things. So, But that's yeah. like you said, it's better mm-hmm. to like have one another than to like be unsafe and just have like that one trip because you can have many more trips if you are safe. Oh, yes. And we, and we look forward to that and we have hope. So hope is an important thing. And we keep that and it's kind of like when it's safe, we have something to look forward to. We can always go back, so. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, Spain, I was supposed to go to Spain. I love, I was in Spain just before we went into lockdown and I was just saying to my mom, oh, we could have stayed another week. I'm like, if, but again, mm-hmm. you can't see the future. So we would never have known that mm-hmm. we would then go into lockdown and a, like a, a virus would take over the world, literally. I know. How can you predict? It's, it's, yeah, that's, it's crazy. It really is. And how different has it been launching your second book to your first apart from like the pandemic, obviously? Oh, it's hard. I'm working really hard at home and I, I do have a lot of my friends have stepped up to do things for me and help promote. I'm sad because I love to meet readers and I had lost what five events. I think I was supposed to be at all these places and all of these things got canceled panels and uh, meet and greets and all of the, you know, events, they all, I just, as the months go by, I started seeing them getting canceled and canceled and canceled. And, and my whole kind of pre-pub stuff was just all moved online or canceled altogether. And it's hard. Um, I'm so excited about Cuban girl though. I love this story just like with every fiber of my being, it, it comes straight from my heart. It is my heart on a page and it's so personally just important close to me that I'm trying to just stay in the joy of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to do everything I can with fun online things and media. I have some fun media things that I'm taping and having done 
um, that bring out some of the cultural elements and historical nature of the book. And so I'm trying. Um, it is different. And I really feel bad uh, for debut authors who would just love to do all the things, right? Like mm-hmm. when I was a debut, I got to go to BookCon and Book Expo and I got to have the lunch event and go on, you know, uh, some little trips to go to festivals. And, and um, I feel bad for my debut friends that they um, have to readjust too. And, but like I said, just like with the trips and just like with the things that we have lost, um, I hope for the time that we can get those things back. And, uh, yeah. And how, I mean, I don't know if you've done any online events yet, but I do mm-hmm. know that it's obviously going to be much bigger shift. You're not going to have that interaction with like people after the event. Um, but how are you mm-hmm. looking forward to that? Or how have you, ex- how has that experience been so far? Um, I've done a lot of online panels. <laughs> I just taped one, right? I've done a few that um, they're on my website. I think I've got links if people can look um, to see those. And it's Latinx Heritage Month right now. I'm doing mm-hmm. uh, something for that on Saturday with some of my favorite Latinx authors. Uh, wonderful. I have all those things. So it's exciting when I'm on the panels to talk to my friends and talk about Cuban Girl and library and so I'm still having fun with that. Um, you know, um, it's just, it's kind of readjusting. Publishing is having to uh, readjust on the fly and authors are too. So we're just, we're kind of learning from one another to see what works like, oh, this platform is better or yeah. um, this is the way to do your launch or this is the way to then channel your money instead of maybe traveling. We put that into trailers or things that are online or um, yeah, it's just, we're just learning as we go. <laughs> so. Yeah. And you also mentioned that um, a Cuban girl's guide is like, you just love the story. I mean, you're Cuban American. Yeah. Did that affect any way that you wrote the story? And like, did you put a lot of yourself into the book? Is that so also much. why you love it? Yeah. So much. Um, maybe too much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is something my agent um, says, like, when she was trying to sell this book, um, which it did, sold to the most fabulous editor, Alex Borbola at Athenaeum who just was brilliant in helping me tell the story best. And this is Alex's book. Like there's the, she is the perfect editor for this book and has been just the best partner. And uh, yeah. And, but you know, when we're trying to sell this book, it's, she's like, my agent's like, I hate how much you love this because if I can't sell this, it's going to hurt. And I'm like, it's going to kill me. You know, like I love this book. And every author goes to that. Every time you're on sub, it's just something that we, but this one was like my jewel. And I don't think, I'll always put Latinx characters in my books, even if they're not the main character, there's always going to be rep, um, mm-hmm. strong, authentic rep. But this is the story of a Cuban girl and I'm a Cuban girl. And um, I have tons of family in Miami and this is the story of a Miami Cuban. And so I infuse the things that I learned sitting on, you know, on the floor of my Thea's house. And I have many of them. I have a huge family and just sitting there as a girl and listening to the chisme, the gossip, and watching them cook, and then being invited to partake in that, and the way, um, just being fed, being fed as a, as a child, and as a Cuban girl, my identity being fed, my heart being fed, and my stomach too, because they, you know, as they're teaching all these things, <laughs> they're giving you the best food ever, and just those memories of the dancing, the music, the, um, the drama, oh my goodness, drama. <laughs> the 
family drama and how, you know, my, everybody would just try to solve everybody else's problems and um, the love, the, the strife, you know, the memories, all of those things are like, again, this big tapestry. I keep coming back to that, but that's what it is. It's all of the things I saw, all of the things I learned and learning about myself. And I live in California, but most of my Cuban family was in Florida. So I would go every year and spend quite a bit of time with them and, and they would come to visit me too. So that time that I would spend there, it's like, oh, I'm Cuban here. Yeah. Um, much more than being at home where even though San Diego is quite diverse, it's not like Miami. Um, especially when I was growing up, it's even more diverse now. And again, we have access to more now, um, but not when I was little. It was a little more closed off and a little more delineated. So just being that Cuban girl in Miami was such a part of my scaffolding and my formation that I just tried to pour all of that. I mean, I punk my, um, you know, my tias and tios so much in this book. I'm like, when you get to this page, this is you. <laughs> like, um, you know, I, my, like, uh, my uncle who is no longer with us had a corn plot in Florida. He brought corn from Cuba. And like when he came here, he did not bring much, but he brought this corn that they grew on my family's farm in Cienfuegos in Cuba. And I mean, the corn here was just not going to do. He had to bring it from home and he planted this huge corn plot in his backyard. So you're in Orlando, Florida, you're driving down here in the suburbs and you go yeah. in the backyard, he's got like a corn plot. <laughs> and that's where my tia would grind masa and make tamales and make all these things. And I grew up playing in that corn plot. Well, that corn plot is in the book. And that's, uh, spoiler, where Lila has her first kiss when she's, when she's younger. So it's like, that's not where I had my first kiss, but that's where <laughs> Lila did. But I took the corn plot and I took the memory and I said, I'm going to put you, it's a place for me to put those things. And that's such a gift. Like I get to put my memories and even if I transform them and maybe just use the spirit of them, it's such a beautiful gift for me to have a place to put those things that are important to me. Yeah. It sounds lovely. I, your childhood sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. The, the food I ate, my goodness. Yes. It just sounds amazing. And I mean, what you said about, you know, like how your uncle kind of just brought like the corn with him. It sounds oh. like my grandmother, like my mom always says to me and like what she said when she was alive is that, you know, when she came from Jamaica, she just kind of brought her suitcase and her rum cake recipe, which is literally anyone you know that knows her is literally like, oh my gosh, your grandmother made the best cakes, even burnt. They taste mm. amazing. I need to try this rum cake. I know. How do I get my hands on this? It sounds amazing. <laughs> Isn't that special that every time you taste that, you think of her, right? I mean, yeah. that, oh, that's, that is like, you know, as an author, it's like, how do you put that on the page? That is mm -hmm. what I took. That type of memory that you just said, like the taste of that, the feeling of this is what she had to bring. This is her offering to the world. And it's her expression of love, right? Yeah. And taking that, and that is really where I start. I started with this book. It was that feeling. And then building a story around it. Um, there you go. That is how we do it. And right I think there. that is why we need more representation in um, books. Because things like that you might not always get if you're having the same stories told over and over. Or just a little mm -hmm. bit differently. Like for me, obviously, I'm never going to be, you know, Latina. I'm never going to be mm -hmm. that. But to read about it and to experience that, it's like actually in every story you can find a little bit of yourself. That's not going to change. Mm -hmm. isn't that isn't that great about books you, yeah. yeah that the reader is part of the story and that right I mean 
I think the reader is the page, you know, if your book is 300 pages, your reader is, is page 301. They complete it with their experience of reading it for me all the time. Um, they're, and to be able to show bridges and say, okay, you're reading about Cuban culture, but you're also seeing the world as a whole. You're seeing humanity as a whole, and you're seeing how you fit into even this girl's life that you could contribute. And that is, you're exactly right. That is why, why we need representation and why we need the diversity within representation that we're not a monolith, that there are so many ways to be Cuban even, um, so many ways to be Jamaican. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I found um, quite recently is, um, I don't know if you've read with The Fire on High. Mm. Um, yeah, with that book, it's like people have quite a narrow perspective on what the Caribbean can look like. And it's like with that, she's Afro-Latina. So that's a completely mm -hmm. different perspective to what I'm going to experience as a Jamaican person. That is a completely different experience, which you wouldn't get if you're not allowing people to tell their stories. Absolutely. And I think we're getting there. And yeah. as the writers, you know, we ask for grace, we ask for time and patience to let our careers, you know, we can't put everything into one book. That's what we're trying to say. Like, not every book is going to tell every part of every story. And there are so many stories and there are so many ways to tell the story just, you know, that we need time uh, because we learn about ourselves even as we go. Um, and we evolve as storytellers, storytellers within our own culture too, by doing it and by reading others and by keeping going. So, uh, you know, that's what we ask for is just for grace and time and an open mind um, that if you think, you know, like if you had a Cuban friend and you read my book or uh, books by many Cuban authors, you're like, well, that's not like my friend was, that's okay. That's the right answer. Mm. Because, <laughs> and let, let's let that be the right answer, uh, but there are many stories. Yeah. And then going back to your first book, The Library of Lost Things, mm -hmm. where did that inspiration come from? Again, I think Darcy, um, that came from another part of me, just being a bookworm and growing up, you know, Darcy has a talent that I don't, she can remember large blocks of text that she's kind of like a book encyclopedia, which is a talent. <laughs> Uh, or kind of a prodigious trait, the way some people have photographic memories and others just have good memories. Um, I always liked coming home um, from work or school or coming home from wherever you're coming home from, right? When, whatever that is in your stage and just putting that aside and trading your stress for a story, putting, just letting the world stay outside the door and opening up a book and getting to go into a fantasy novel and getting to, getting to step into the shoes of another character where you don't have to be you for an hour or two when you're reading. And to me, that was just like the biggest stress reliever, the biggest escape. And we all need those moments. For me, that was books. Some people do that with TV. Some people do that, you know, maybe going outside for a walk or exercise. But for me, that was books. So I got the idea of like, well, what if there was a team who did this to an almost like, toxic but to a level to where she was pouring doing all her living inside books because the outside world was too scary um, that she was kind of living out other characters lives rather than focusing on moving her own forward and that is where Darcy was born and uh, that's really what the library of lost things is about is learning how to live her own story mm. 
That sounds great as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was your favorite part about writing that book particularly? My favorite part, um, again, the characters. I really like the cast. Um, there's Darcy's best friend is um, half Mexican and half Cuban. Her name is Marisol. And Marisol is a great foil for Darcy because Marisol is into fashion and she's an extrovert. And, you know, her mother's family is everything that Darcy's isn't. And they kind of take her in. And there's so much um, love and culture and um, vibrancy that they bring to Darcy, who is in very much a black and white page paperback world. And they bring her and they urge her gently um, and safely into a world where she's accepted. And, you know, those, that's what a good best friend does is they listen to you, but they also kind of call you on your stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what Medisol does. So I really had fun writing that friendship of how they pull at each other and support each other and also pull one another forward. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. And out of um, either of your books, did, what was like the most difficult thing about writing either of them? I would say um, the most difficult thing, I'm not a slow drafter. I, how do I say this? Then I'm a better uh, doctor than magician. <laughs> so I'm better at having written than writing. So I'm probably a better reviser. And I do, this is what I tell um, emerging writers when I teach classes or I, get, I give advice is writing is rewriting. And good writing is revision <laughs> and, and rewriting. And you don't have to get it right the first time. And I never do. I really just don't. So drafting is hard for me. I like, I, that's what you had asked me before about the pandemic. You know, it was like, oh, I have to revise what I already did. Great. I could do that. <laughs> I'm really fast at that. My editor is like, gosh, you beat every deadline. I'm like, well, yeah, you know, it's revising. I can do that. It's much easier for me to take what I've already done and kind of rework it. Um, Cause I have that framework. I think it's just the way my brain works. Some people just hate revising and they're the opposite. They love to draft. They can draft a book in a month. And I'm like, who are you? How are you doing this? Teach me. Um, so, yeah. And, and here I am again being a drafter and going, oh, goodness, I can't wait till this book is done so I can write it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I just I couldn't write a book in general. I don't, I don't think I have the attention span, nor do I have. I'm more of a reader like I enjoy immersing myself in a book and then being like where's the next one (laughs) but I don't be I'm not Mm -hmm. one that can sit down and write a full-blown story like I'm I want to be a journalist so Mm. I can write an article and then end it there and then go on to something new but I cannot I don't think I commit to something that's 300 pages long I see it I know and and I we appreciate you readers journalists because you are our partners and we can't exist as writers without people to read them and enjoy them and then write about them. And you're valued in our world as well. I mean, we all need, everybody can't do the same thing and everyone doesn't have the same gifts. So what you're contributing is what you should be contributing. Yeah. And my last couple of questions are just a bit much shorter. What was the last book you read? The book I fit and I was supposed to be working yesterday, but I wasn't. I was reading. I know it's okay. Don't tell my editor. <laughs> um, but um, I just finished Reaper at the Gates by Saba Tahir. Is that, um, that is in the Ember in the Ashes mm. uh, uh, series, which is amazing. And just the storytelling going on there. And then, oh my goodness. So I just, I had to finish it. I couldn't go. I had to because I was on the last like hundred pages and I just blasted through that. That was amazing. I'm also reading um, 
FN Divided by Ernesto Cisneros, which is a middle grade that's wonderful. Um, that um, a Mexican boy whose mother gets deported. So good. What else am I reading? I'm reading, I have a few on my Kindle. Um, I'm reading the uh, Resolutions by Mia Garcia. I just started yeah. that one. Yeah, so that, um, I think I'm going to read an adult novel next. We will go to some of those. Um, I don't know. My list is ever growing. And of course, Bookshop um, is sending me a new pack of my pre-orders. So more is coming in. So it never stops. Yeah. I have a problem. I think my mom thinks I, my mom thinks I have a problem anyway, because I only have like two shelves. So I don't have a proper bookcase and those are like completely full. And then I have some in my cupboard and then I have books in the bottom of her wardrobe. <laughs> so uh, I've taken over the whole house full of books. So if there's ever a parcel that's full of books, my mom like just death glares me all the time. She's like, no, there's an e-reader for that, <laughs> right? And if she I even know. knew how many was on my e-reader, she would probably die. She'd combust. <laughs> oh no, but you're our people. I support it. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm on your side. <laughs> <laughs> Get all the books. <laughs> yeah, and um, do you have a fictional crush? Oh my goodness. Um, I'd have to say, hmm, <laughs> that. I do love Elias from Ember and the Ashes mm-hmm. currently. Um, Orion from my own book and my critique partners, my agent still fight over Orion Maxwell from Cuban Girl. Can I say my own book? Because yes. yeah, he's pretty cool. He's, yeah, he's a winner. Um, yeah, who else? Let's see, I'm looking at, I'm trying to just maybe stay in YA. Um, oh, I love like Jamie Fraser from Outlander. Mm-hmm. Those books by Diana, Diana Gabaldon. The, yeah, he's a winner. He's maybe the one. So I think that's enough. I, that's pretty yeah. much got, yeah, my own book, adult, and YA. I think we're. <laughs> <laughs> I think you did much better than me. I, I, I think for me, I like pick characteristics that I would like, and then I'd, that, that's my overall dream. Like there's certain characteristics I like in different characters. That's totally true. Yes. Right. And we use that as writers. You can we read characters that we love and we try to see why do we love this person and we you know emulate that in our own writing and uh, make them our own definitely definitely part of our process and then my last question for you really is what can readers expect next from you oh well i um all i can say is my my book three um is a friendship book it is not um yeah it's the first uh Friendship Breakup book that will be announced soon is also with Athenaeum Simon and Schuster coming, we think, around fall 2021. Um, and watch my socials because as soon as I can launch that one, I'll, I'll tell more about it. But um, whereas uh, my other books are more, have like a, a romance theme and a coming of age, this is still coming of age, but it is more of the friendship themed book. Yeah. So that's what's coming next for me sounds great and thank you so much for being on my podcast today it's been great having you because i feel like everything that you say can be made into like little quotes and like put on your social media and like your head everything's so like inspirational thank you it's been so nice chatting with you i love your 
your cast. And I love your accent too. Just brings me <laughs> back to my book. I'm t- <laughs> Wonderful. And you say, well, I'm, you know, I don't have the accent. You do, Laura. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, someone else said that to me today and I was like, what accent? It's like Southeast exactly. London is not a nice accent. <laughs> right. No. No, just, it's great. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you and it's been fun. <laughs>